What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome back to Football Americana. This week, I'm talking to my former coach and current head coach of the U.S. Women's National Team, Vlako Andonovsky. Uh, Vlako is Macedonian-American and was a defender during his playing career for multiple clubs across North Macedonia before moving to the United States and playing indoor soccer. Uh, So fast forward a second. I'm going to share some stats that are going to embarrass you a little bit, Vlako, just so people get an idea of the stats of your coaching career. But uh, I did want to share one more thing in your bio that you might not have even known, but Flacco is also the third best free kick taker to ever take free kicks at Swope Soccer Village uh, behind <laughs> myself and Milan Ivanovic. So I don't know if that one's usually in your bio, but I wanted to make sure we threw that one in there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, I uh, now I feel honored. You know, when you said third, I, you know, I was a little bit disappointed, but uh, being behind you and Milan, I mean, it's an honor. Yeah, I figured that would that would really uh, change it up for you. So, uh, but but besides that, being in the third place on that, um, Vlaco managed the Missouri Comets, the indoor professional team, before moving to his first uh, job coaching on the women's side with what was at the time FC Kansas City. And with FC Kansas City, you had a really impressive um, winning percentage. And I have the percentage here, something I think it's in the. Uh, seven almost eighty percent winning percentage was won two championships. Was NWSL Coach of the Year two times, and now with the U.S. Women's National Team, you've won two She Believes Cups and just just won the uh, Concacaf World Cup qualifying tournament. So, Vlako, I know I joked with you when you got that the U.S. Women's National Team job. I said, Vlako, you're go- you're going to be famous, and you were like, No, no, no. But uh, could you have ever imagined growing up, you know, wanting to be a professional player in Macedonia, that you would be coaching the U.S. women's national team? I mean, I have to say, I, I didn't, uh, I couldn't imagine that uh, I'm going to coach uh, female soccer players because growing up in a country where uh, female soccer was not even a thing, there was no, there was no league. There, females, I mean, girls did not play soccer. Women didn't play soccer. So. Uh, I, I mean, even in my wildest dream, I couldn't uh, think of something like that. But uh, ever since I came in the in the country, uh, I guess uh, I and I figure out and I saw how big uh, women's soccer is. Uh, now I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about your youth football upbringing. Um, was it always your dream to pay, play professionally as a young player? If you grow up in uh, Macedonia or I grew up in ex-Yugoslavia, 
it seems like everybody's dream was uh, to be a professional soccer player. I mean, everybody, everybody's dreaming that uh, one day is going to play professionally in the in the local uh, club or the city, the, the the club of the city, and then play for the national team, and then we'll go in Europe and play in this big club. I mean, that's uh, that's what everybody is dreaming uh, dreaming about. And uh, for me, the, the dreams were same, and it didn't help that. Uh, my brother was a professional soccer player. My dad was a professional soccer player. Uh, two of my uncles were players, and uh, the third uncle was a goalkeeper professionally. So now, when I, when I think back, I don't I don't even know if I had a choice. I, I mean, uh, maybe I did, but I I couldn't. See, now looking back, I I can't see the choice. It was uh, uh, it was soccer on TV. It was soccer when we were on our family gathering. It was soccer in the house. Uh, we went to soccer games. Uh, so that was it. I guess they left me <laughs> with no choice. <laughs> and and was there a point where you remember? Kind of, I mean, obviously they set the, the path for you. Kind of had a vision of what it took to get there. Did do you remember at a point when you knew, like, oh, I, I'm good. I can actually, you know, make it as a pro as well. I don't know if I ever felt I was good, and uh, that could be good and bad. I mean, uh, bad because uh, maybe not enough confidence or never believed uh, in uh, my uh, qualities as a soccer player. But in same time. I feel like that was what what kept pushing me that I need to get better and constantly get better at, or uh, constantly work work harder. I guess even uh, even as uh, as coaches, uh, what uh, what makes us special sometimes is the fear of uh, failure or fear of not being prepared enough, and we just constantly keep working on uh, little things. Yeah, that's really interesting. And when you said that, I was thinking, you know. May- I think a lot of the the top players I talk to and people who are at the top of whatever field they get to don't actually feel that they've ever really arrived at the top or they never feel that they're they are so good and that's part of what I think makes you know you as a coach I remember you are you would be staying up all night after a game along with us as players and probably thinking about it 10 times more than than everyone you're coaching which I think is a obviously a, a great quality. When was it that you it ever dawned on you that coaching was an avenue you can take in the game like did you remember a point in which you thought, you know, oh, I'm, I'm actually good at being a leader in that way? I don't know if there was a point, but I know that uh, even ever, ever since I was a little kid, uh, I wanted to be a coach. Like I wanted, uh, I was always that one kid that uh, that was a, a, a little bit annoying uh, on the field, even in the a, in a kick arounds uh, in the neighborhood would get together and everybody's having fun and uh doing their own thing and I was the one that was like okay hold on we need to organize like this isn't <laughs> going to work like this and you know you need to do this and and uh yes uh, not always was uh, accepted um, well by the by the friends who just came out to have fun but uh uh that was uh that was my, my those were my first steps of of coaching you know or managing or organizing that's a, that's even a harder job than coaching, uh, you know, a professional team sometimes. <laughs> yeah, the professionals are very, uh, very good about uh, taking information and uh, implementing. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like your experience playing indoor soccer and coaching the, the indoor game has influenced your coaching now um, at this point? 
You know, I love indoor. I love uh, small study games. I love futsal. I grew up playing futsal myself uh, along with um, uh, outdoor soccer. And I think it's very helpful. Uh, it, it teaches a lot. Uh, if you, Even if you look at uh, when we're trying to achieve something uh, at trainings, we very often create small-sided activities. We create uh, 3v3s, 4v4s, 5v5s, uh, because uh, we, we want to create this... Uh, uh, or we want to develop these creative thinkers. We want to we want to put the players in situation where they're uh, a little more sophisticated, a little precise. Uh, they solve problems under pressure, uh, under uh, in tight areas, and that's what uh, indoor is. That's what football is. That's what the small study games uh, provide. Yeah, it's so interesting. I remember you talking once about when you first came to the U.S. and told a little story about how you didn't even know indoor soccer was a thing. So it's really, it's interesting to see the trajectory of your career and how kind of maybe by chance some of these things came together, but they've really influenced who you are and how you view the game. Yes, uh, actually, uh, it was the first call that uh, that I got from a friend of mine uh, who invited me to come and uh, and play indoor here, and I didn't understand the, the the idea of indoor. And he said it's very cool, and you know you have these walls around. Uh, that was the that was the first thing I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you, we're not playing soccer with uh, with walls. Like, forget about that. Like, how am I gonna tell? The teams, the team here that oh I'm you know I'm leaving the team and I'm gonna go somewhere else and I'm gonna play soccer with walls like you know it, uh, I don't think it will be accepted well so but then you know I came and uh, like I said I enjoyed it I, I loved the time spent um, uh, playing indoor and uh, it taught me a lot uh, and uh, I'm glad that uh, that I made the decision to come. Yeah, well, I'm sure if I'm sure if they saw you now uh, on TV coaching the U.S. national team, they wouldn't be like, "Oh, what what is that?" So I think <laughs> I think your decisions have justified themselves. Um, I'm you know curious to shift gears a little to uh, your work with the national team. How, how would you describe what you're trying to build with that team? Obviously, there's a, a very long-standing history um, that we've all witnessed, and now you come in and what is your vision for how you take it forward from here? You know. Uh... If you if you watch the team in the in the last few months, Concacaf uh, and a few camps before that, it is very obvious uh, the direction uh, that the team is going or the, the 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 way the team is going to look in the future. What we're trying to uh, build here is uh, is a mix of youth and experience, uh, and uh, we've. Um, We've uh, realized that it's just not possible to have one or the other, and the best the best mix is to have the the, the drive, the 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 energy, the 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 youthfulness uh, on the team, but uh, not just any young player. I mean, we're talking we're talking quality young players. You know, we're talking uh, Mel Pugh and Sof Smith and Katarina Makarios uh, uh, and and Foxy. You know, those type of players, but also. It's important that we have players that, that have been in the in the, in the trenches. They've been in this tough situation. They have dealt with adversity. They have uh, won big moments and big tournaments, World Cups. So uh, if we can uh, if we can find the right mix and uh, and blend and uh, put them uh, put them on the field together, that would be uh, that would be ideal. Actually, that's what we're working towards. Yeah, that, that's really well said. And I think we can all see that. I, I think I saw a stat that you've brought in 19 new players since 2019 in your uh, in your time there. So a lot of people getting their first opportunity. Uh, ha, has there been something about the job that sticks out to you that's that surprised you? Or do you feel like you kind of could have imagined thinking forward as to what it's like? 
You know, uh, I don't know if it uh, surprised me, but uh, there, there were things that I knew are going to be hard, that I knew are going to be tough, they're not, they're not going to be easy to uh, uh, easy to do. But actually, I realized that it's harder than I thought and more difficult than I thought. <laughs> because, you know, building uh, building a team, it's difficult task. Like any team, you know, obviously we were in Kansas City and then I in Seattle and, and uh, it, it wasn't easy club team, you know, to, to build it, uh, to to create a cohesiveness between the players, to to build a style of play, implement the principles. All of those, uh, all of those tasks are are hard on the team, but building an elite national level team is probably the hardest uh, hardest thing that you can imagine in soccer. And uh, this is not I'm not talking about me, my job in the United States. I'm talking any any national team, uh, any or top national team uh, in the world. And the reason why is uh, why I'm saying that is because. Uh, you know, on, when you have a club team, you, you work with them on a daily basis. You just have opportunities to work and uh, you see the progress and then you can fix it from uh, from week to week. Where the national team, okay, you you don't know what you, you what you're getting when the team comes to you because um, they're for the, with the team for a month, and then they uh, they come from um, they, they they come from their environment. From uh, they all come from with uh, different mindset from different environments. They come from different coaching style. Uh, they come, I mean, literally, just like this camp against Nigeria, we have players that are going to play on Sunday together. I mean, not sorry, not together, against each other. And they're going to get on the plane together to fly in uh, in Kansas City so so we can get them together. And now I need to tell them, oh, now you guys are on the same team and we're going to build this greatest team in the world. You know, it, it takes a little time to to turn that switch. It takes a little time to adjust to that, okay, what you did there, it's good, great, but it's different than what we do here. I'm not saying that is right or wrong. It's just different. And now... All of you have to shift the mentality, shift all the knowledge that that you came with, and you you need to um, refocus uh, refocus on what we're doing here. So that's the the first hardest part. The the second hardest part is you feel good now. You know, after day two, three, four, like you feel good. It's like okay, now we're we're getting somewhere. Okay, it is looking good. We're making progress, and then we go into the game. The game finishes, and they leave, and now. Uh, Literally, every time before we take two steps forward, we need to take one step back because then you don't have them for five or six weeks. Obviously, now with uh, with technology, we're able to communicate with them and and uh, and work with them, but not as much because uh, we have to be respectful to their uh, club uh, club teams, to their markets, to their coaches there, and uh, because they have obligations and. I constantly challenge them to be the best person and the best players in their markets. So I got to give them space to now refocus uh, when they go in their markets and do what's best for them. So now uh, this is just a, a glimpse of what uh, putting putting the best team together or the elite national team uh, uh, team looks like, and what. I didn't expect to be as difficult as it is, but uh, we're making strides. We're moving forward, and uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting you talk about that because that's actually something that also is kind of a little bit new 
in the U.S. as well, because until not so recently, most of the players didn't feel a very strong affiliation to their club team. They were national team players and maybe even in the past had residencies where they lived with the national team. And then as there were, you know, leagues in the U.S., sometimes they would play club soccer also. Only in recent times here has that really changed to kind of mirror how it is everywhere else in the world. But it's very interesting to hear you talk about it from the coach's perspective, because I've kind of seen it along the over the years from the player's perspective. So um, are there any other things, are, are there things you miss about coaching on the club side besides, you know, that day to day? Are there, is there anything else that's kind of you've noticed as a, a big difference? Yes. I mean, uh, one, uh, one last thing is like that, that made it uh, very, very tough or difficult is like I came from club environment where every day, uh, every day for, for months or for two months in preseason, we, we work on implementing style and principles. And we had every detail, as you know, I mean, we've played, uh, we've worked together in Kansas city. Like we knew, to an inch, how far we we move up, down, left, right. We're here. We have to rely on the knowledge that the players are coming in uh, from their club environments, and we just have to kind of tweak to to the point where it fits uh, in our style. And uh, in order to do that, uh, again, I'll take the example of this upcoming two games against Nigeria. Uh, the players are coming, and then they have recovery. They have the uh, one light training with uh, not the whole team only partial partial team and then uh, they have one full training and then match day minus one and we go into a game so i need to know how to prioritize and find out what can i do in one full training and one partial training like that that's all i have to prepare for the game but it's not just preparing for the game. It's one thing preparing for the game. I need to also prepare the team long-term so we can win long-term and we can win World Cup. And then uh, I have to continue the process, uh, develop the young players. But in the same time, I need to be able to, to build a team or you know build a culture and take the culture. So all of that in uh, one and a half training. So uh, that was one of the things that I, I was trying to to figure out how to prioritize and have a good plan in place to do that and execute it well. Yeah, you know, I uh, I don't envy that. That sounds like a, a massive challenge. And it's, it's so, it's really interesting to hear you talk about, about from your point of view, um, the challenge of doing that. Because I've been on the playing side of, of working through the two months of preseason that you mentioned and how much goes into it, how much thought and detail and the building of the culture and all of that. And to have it broken up into those camps, it's... It, um, you know, I can imagine how difficult that is. And it also makes me think about, you know, obviously you're coming into a longstanding history of, of an incredibly successful team. Do you feel that that's made your job easier to kind of continue to grow that? Or is it harder because of all of the pressure of, of what's been done in the past? I mean, uh, I don't think it could have been any harder than it is. Uh, I think that first, uh, Jill couldn't make it any harder i guess she had two world cups won both of them uh which i did i think it's uh one of the most incredible thing that uh, any national team coach can do and uh coming in it is uh it is so hard because uh the expectation anything except winning is not accepted that's one thing the second thing is it's not just winning we need to win in style we're a u.s women national team so that's uh, uh those are the expectations uh but in but I knew that coming in, it's not like I didn't know that uh, the team won two World Cups. I didn't. It's not like I didn't know that this is the best team ever in the world. Mm. I knew that, and 
And I guess that's the challenge that excites me. That's the challenge that keeps me going, that I want to continue this. Uh, and I want to make sure that, uh, you know, we win the third one and be the, the team that uh, that has done something that has, has, hasn't been done before and will probably never be done before. So that's uh, that's what uh, makes me excited. You know, just uh, coming in, embracing the challenge and working towards, uh, towards it is uh, what keeps me motivated every day. Yeah, it's extremely exciting and extremely difficult. I can appreciate what you're saying. Um, so shifting a little bit to talk about the world game. I, I know I was uh, texting with you a little bit when you were over at the Euros, actually. So curious to hear some of your thoughts on the Euros and just watching the women's game over the years since you got involved in the women's game at first. Like, What, what are your thoughts sitting and watching? Some of it was, I mean, the, everything from the atmosphere to the play on the field and the level of com- competition is just... When I watch it, I, I feel emotional because I've seen the women's game from when I grew up and what I was watching till now. And it's just, um, yeah, it's, it's so impressive. Yeah, I think that uh, the Euros took the women's game to uh, to another level. I think that uh, they just pushed the standards again. And uh, uh, it was an incredible event, uh, incredible competition. And uh, from the organizational standpoint, but also I think from the from the uh, playing standpoint, uh, we saw some uh, great games. We saw some uh, great moments uh, within the games uh, that were that were good for me to see live, but also I think were good for uh, for uh, women's soccer. And uh, I think that uh, the Euros actually just proved what uh, I've always thought, but was uh, never really accepted. Uh, especially here in the country, you know, because I was always saying, is uh, uh, is women's soccer around the world catching up? Women's soccer around the world caught up 15 years ago, okay? But uh, our team, Jill and the team, found a way to stay on top in 2015. They found a way to stay on top in 2019. It's not like we went in these two tournaments and won 5-0 against England or Spain or Germany. It's those those little details, little little things uh, that uh, that uh, again uh, the coach and the, and the players figure out to to do to stay on top. So uh, now they showed again that yes, women's soccer around the world is at the level where where we're at. But it's our responsibility to find those little things to to implement those little details that will make a difference uh, between winning and losing. Yeah, and what you're saying is really interesting to hear because, you know, it's almost like because the U.S. team is expected to win, it's almost like people maybe don't take fully into account, you know, oh, well, of course, yeah, the one in 2015, 2019, everyone's just playing catch up. But that's not the case at all, you know, based on what you're saying. And, and I think what it, what it looks like when you see there are really quality opponents out there and the fact that the team has consistently found a way to to keep winning. Uh, there's a, a lot to be said yeah. for, for how impressive that is. Yes, absolutely. And another thing is, I mean, if... Uh, if the, the other teams were catching up, then uh, why is it that the, our team didn't win for 16 years between 99 and 2015? So, the, yes, the, I think they're they're there. Every you know, there are so many good teams. I mean, there's a, there's a group of 10 teams that at any point in time uh, anyone can win a big tournament. And we saw that with Canada. They were at that point, I think, ranked eighth when uh, when they uh, came in the Olympics and ended up winning. You know, so uh, it is important that uh, we don't get complacent, that we don't get uh, uh, arrogant at any point in time, and make sure that uh, we all understand that women's soccer 
uh, women's soccer uh, in the in the world is growing, and uh, we're gonna have to continue working hard and harder than ever to 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 get to stay on top uh, and uh, win the next one. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned Canada, and I think that's a, a really good example. But looking ahead to the World Cup, um, wh- which other teams do you think are especially strong right now, or maybe are making a really strong run towards it? And then, are there any other? countries that you think, you know what, like you guys watch, this country is going to surprise you? Because I know over time, just knowing you, you've said like, hey, this player or somebody young or some some team that you think, you know, watch in six months, they're going to be greater. And I think you have such good insight on that. I'm curious to hear kind of your your take. No pressure. I don't know if I want to go into details. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously we do our work and, uh, and study and uh, research to make sure that uh, nothing surprises us going into the World Cup. But uh, it's pretty obvious that, uh, you know, the teams that are doing well, you look at the Euros, uh, I mean, England, I thought they did an incredible job in then uh, playing Germany in the in the final. Uh, you know, Germany is always going to be, uh, G- Germany and Sweden, uh, I feel like, are the teams that are always figuring out a way to to get on top. Uh, somewhere, somehow, they... Uh, they always manage to win big games, and uh, I think uh, France and Spain uh, have incredible teams and, and are uh, um, and are doing well. Holland, if they're able to bounce back from um, from this tournament, I think that they can uh, they can surprise. And we saw that in 2019 that they were they surprised a lot of a lot of the teams. Uh, you know, I I'm actually very intrigued to see Australia. You know, because uh, I know Tony is a great coach and. Uh, the, um, they have a really good, uh, energetic, and and, uh, and intense team hosting with uh, with the support of their of their fans. Uh, I'm intrigued to see how they're going to do. Yeah, no, I wasn't asking you to give up any uh, any special secrets from your scouting. I wouldn't do that to you. But but no, that's it's interesting to hear you, you know talk about the the teams in that mix. So obviously, there are a ton of teams with quality, as you pointed out. Um, do you feel that the Euros? Um, took England to kind of a next level in that conversation, or was that always how you've seen England? I mean, uh, I don't know if the Euros took England to uh, to another level, or England used the Euros to show what they can do. Uh, I think uh, Serena did an incredible job uh, m- managing the team and uh, and organizing them and uh, allowing them to uh, to show what they can do. And uh, they just used that opportunity and uh, did a did a great job. Yeah, no, that's well said. So, last question before we go into our our rapid fire false nine to kind of finish this off. No, no pressure on that, <laughs> but. Talk a little bit about, obviously, it's an incredibly daunting task, I can imagine, for you guys as a coaching staff to select the roster. I mean, it's, it's a good problem to have, but, you know, I, I, the depth in our country and, the, like you talked about, the mixture of the youth versus experience, can you talk a little bit about your process and, the, and what it's going to be like for you over these next however many months in the lead up to selecting the final roster? Like, how much of that have you maybe already kind of sorted out? And, and what what are the criteria? Like, what things are you considering most in, in this? Yeah, so when you're selecting, uh, I mean, when we're selecting the roster, that's uh, that's for us like uh, putting a big puzzle together. And uh, we, we have an idea of how we want the team to look or what we believe is going to be a, a team uh, to win the World Cup. And we kind of then jump and didn't don't quite work backwards, but we jump uh, at the very beginning and start putting the puzzle uh, to uh, 
to form the picture that we want. So the, the, obviously, the, the first and the general ideas are that you know the players have to be healthy, they have to perform well, they have to uh, they have to be informed and they have to be fit physically. But also very important for us is that they have to be fit for the environment. Uh, they you know they have to fit well into into the culture. So that you know the, when we're evaluating the players uh, from the from the tactical standpoint. Um, we do watch a lot of NWSL games, uh, and uh, we we value it and analyze. I mean, we have a whole platform and uh, and process of how we evaluate every single uh, player uh, that is in on our depth chart. That we have uh, thirty six right now, and uh, we also uh, evaluate them on a weekly basis. Now, uh, you know, we first we, we we start with the idea, and then with our model, with our principles, and then. Uh, uh, then we look for for high uh, for, for high performers that fit into into the model. Like uh, how would the things that they do on the field would fit into what we want to do, or, or sometimes how would player that doesn't fit in the model help us reshape the model and make us even better? So we're not really locked on. Uh, okay, this is the only way. If we see someone that is performing well, and uh, we believe that. Uh, this player can come in and uh, help us reshape the model and make us better. Yeah, we're open to that, and we have uh, we've had uh, situations like that before. But then, like I said, at the end, uh, uh, it comes to the trickiest one, which I think is uh, how much is the, the, this player uh, fitting into the culture or the need of the team, and uh, that's uh, that's the process or uh, selection process that we go through. No, it's, it's great to hear you talk about that um, quite openly because I think people always, you know, the roster comes out and there's all this commentary publicly. And I don't think people really realize how in-depth and how interconnected things are. It's not just a player for player, like, hey, rank your best 18 players in the country. It's so much more complex than that. So it's really good to hear you describe your process. Um, and I was sure you had a very in-depth process in place, but I was still very interested to hear about it. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I... I feel very comfortable with the process that we have, and very confident in the in the coaches. I think they do do an incredible job in uh, analyzing and evaluating all the players. And uh, like I said, we on a weekly basis uh, go through every player in our um, in our uh, depth chart, and uh, we so we do it for a couple of reasons. One is for to evaluate and uh, and uh, and uh, evaluate for our purposes, but also analyze to so we are furthermore. Um, able to help that player with the uh, individual uh, development uh, plan. So uh, if there's something that we believe that the player is not doing right for the team and all, but uh, the same thing would fit for what we do on our team, then we, uh, we managed to call, call the player or schedule a meeting and then uh, go through a video video session to help them with the with the development. But if it's something that uh, doesn't work well for their team, uh, but it or but it doesn't fit with ours, then we we try to stay away and uh, not interfere. Yeah. Well, now as a GM of a team, I do appreciate that the second one there. <laughs> um, but no, it, it's amazing too how how much technology supports what you guys are doing. And I've always known you to be like on top of and very uncomfortable with technology. So it's it's great to see how that's really uh, helped to support coaches and players in this process. Um, so, okay, 
We're ready for our uh, false nine, just nine. There'll be nine kind of quick questions. First thing that comes to mind, or you can kind of talk about your thought process if you have a thought process debating what you're going to, what you're going to say. So first one, what all-time match would you want to attend? I mean, uh, if there is one match that I would really want to attend, that's the, the final of the World Cup 2023 US Women National Team versus anyone. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to say who. I was like, ready. I was ready to hear who. Okay, that, that's a very, very good answer. I would, I, I would like to attend that match as well. I might need you to leave me a ticket, please. Um, if we get there, yes, you can and, count. And will you, can you uh, get my well, plane ticket as there. well? Plane ticket and hotel as well, please. Uh, <laughs> um, no, just kidding. I'll gladly buy a plane ticket if you. If you guys are there, I will. I will come to the game. Um, penalties to save your life. Who's taking it? Megan Rapinoe, no question. Anytime. I, yes, closed with her eyes closed. You know what? A, a few people have said Pino, and I think it's because she probably just wouldn't even really care and she would just go do it, no pressure, not even, which I don't know if that's disturbing if, it's, if your life is on the line or, but it seems kind of comforting in this case. <laughs> she, she is unreal. I mean, uh, her ability to, uh, to score penalties in big moments under pressure. Is, uh, is insane. Obviously, on the team, we have several players that, that are able to do that, but Pino has proved that uh, she can do it at the biggest stage in the biggest moments, and uh, nothing phases her. The, the way she sees it is a moment of glory. <laughs> that is very well said. She's, she's excited about the opportunity to do a celebration. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, the first match you remember watching? The first match I remember watching uh, on TV... Yeah, or, or live, either uh, one. On, on TV was uh, qualifiers Yugoslavia versus Bulgaria. It's the epic match. Uh, I'm sure you can find highlights on YouTube. It's one of the 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 most interesting match that that I watched live, and uh, it was a qualifier for Spain '82. Oh my gosh! Wow, Does that wow. make me old? I don't know. They had video cameras back then to capture it. <laughs> it it's one of those uh, back then that, uh, you know, it's one game uh, a month. And that's, you know, that was the one that I remember. Yeah. Well, you caught a good one. So that's good. Um, yeah. Who would you have a poster of in your room growing up? Oh, Diego. Diego Armando Maradona. I think everybody had. I, I don't know if everyone had the... Uh, Anyone had anything else? I mean, we all grew up in Diego Maradona era, so... Yeah. Uh, favorite stadium you've... I will say you've played in or coached in? I would say coach. Uh, yeah, I've been to a lot uh, nicer, better stadiums as a, as a coach. Uh, you know, the uh, Cincinnati, the Cincinnati FC Stadium, what is it, TQL, right? I can remember... Uh, the name of the stadium, but uh, I think it's incredible. Columbus, yeah, we played in Columbus uh, against uh, Uzbekistan in April, I believe. That was a beautiful stadium too. I mean, uh, uh, right now we've played in so many, uh, so many nice stadiums around the country. It's incredible. We were we opened up the the one in Austin. It's a beautiful stadium too, brand new. It was the first game we played against Nigeria. Uh, and I know that uh, uh, I uh, I heard Nashville is a really nice stadium, so that's uh, that's someone we're looking forward to hopefully play a game in the in the future. Uh, I mean that we we've been fortunate to play in some really really nice stadium. The nicest uh, uh, the nicest atmosphere that I remember was uh, 
against Spain in uh, Red Bull Arena. Yes, it was filled up uh, full stadium and uh, Julia scored in uh, like 88, 89th minute uh, to win the game 1-0. It was incredible. Yeah, I believe I was at that game. Um, awesome. Okay, funniest player on the U.S. women's national team? Funniest player on the U.S. women's national team? Megan Pino. I, I think Pino is funny sometimes without trying to be funny. I mean, she always uh, has uh, good lines. But you know what? Sonnet. Sonnet is quirky. She comes up with some interesting things. So, yeah, I would uh, I would put them both there in different ways. Yeah. You do have a pretty funny group. I think that's one nice thing about the team that I, I remember over the years and I appreciate about the players is it's so, there's so much pressure. The intensity is so high, but there is a really good sense of humor around the team. Uh, so yeah. I'm sure you yeah. guys laugh a lot. Yes. They, they've been great. You know what? Uh, lately, uh, Rose and, uh, and uh, Lindsay have been, uh, have been doing some, some stuff that, that is funny too. Like in the environment, they come up with the, with different things. Uh, the, They're stepping up there. Oh yeah, game. they yeah they they had a few moments last game that uh, we're still uh, laughing about. Uh, that's great. I, I do. I I don't miss certain things about playing still, but I, I miss that a lot. Just being around the team and, and the laughter. Um, do you have a favorite pair of sneakers? Oh, it's uh, Nike Reacts running all day. I have them in different colors. Uh, yes, uh, my favorite. Great, great. Uh, your go-to snack? Go-to snack. Uh, lately, I mean, now lately, I would say uh, when we go in camp, uh, because we stay up late uh, uh, every day, we do snack a lot. And my go-to in camp uh, is uh, the har- Haribo, the, the peaches. Yes, those are good. That's a good oh. one. Brilliant. Not a very healthy snack, but it's a good one. <laughs> yeah, we, we have to stay up. We need we need sugar. Yeah, that's fair. Um, you hear that, Haribo? You got a, a sponsor. Sponsor Vlack on the U.S. Women's National Team. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce it, so hopefully I said it right. Um, okay, last question. I'm glad we're ending on this one because you talked a little bit about for, before on how your coaching journey started, just out playing uh, with your friends at the park. Do you have a, a pickup pet peeve? Pickup? Pickup, like pickup soccer. You might have been everyone else's pet peeve, like the guy who coaches all the pickup yeah. games and sets it up. But do, what's your pet peeve if you go out and you just have a group of friends playing? Like what? It, what really drives you nuts? I mean, I think that uh, if if it's not structured, like uh, you know, we have to have a line, we have to have goals, we have like everything has to be structured, and it just drives me nuts. I always, you know. If we have a pickup, I always have to have the cones out. Uh, I have to have a proper ball. I mean, you know when uh, we when we played the when when did we play pickup one time? Oh yeah, it was oh, out uh, in LA. Yeah, we in came, LA. I yeah. When you came up here. Yeah. Yeah. Was that structured so, enough for you? I set it up, so I'm yeah, now nervous. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah, it was okay. good. Like, okay. I enjoyed it. We had the lines, good goals, the yeah. teams were, were set, like everything. So yeah, no, I feel the same. There's no point if it's not like organized enough. I guess. Yes. Yeah. Um, well, no, I, I really, I know we ended on a funny note, but really appreciate your insight. So much of what you shared and just hearing you talk about the, um, the amazing opportunity of what you have to build, but also the challenges involved is really special. So thank you for taking the time and giving us a little bit of insight into what I'm sure you spend hours and hours and hours thinking about every day and every week. 
No, thank you very much for having me. I'm glad uh, we could uh, we could have this conversation, and uh, I always enjoy. And I never know where this conversation is going to take when I talk to you, Yael, because you know so much about me as a coach and uh, so much about the game and the women's soccer game. So I'm always excited to to see which way, in which direction you're going to yeah, take no, the, the conversation. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. I, I, there's not many people I could talk to who really make me want to play again. And now I leave these conversations. I'm like, oh, should I go train or what should I do? So thank you, Blacko.